Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning and to spend some time with you opening up God's Word, learning from it the things that we can apply to our lives so that we can be pleasing to Him. You know, I always find myself in a unique kind of a challenge when I'm visiting a congregation to preach for the first time. I find myself scrambling to find a topic that will not only be encouraging, but also hopefully challenging. And on top of that, one that will be applicable to any given age, because generally speaking, I don't know the age group of people that I'm talking to or if it's spread out or not. And it's because of that, I tend, my, I tend to find myself gravitating towards the book of Philippians. Philippians, for me, has been an incredibly uplifting read through the years. And actually, this past quarter at East End, I was asked to teach a high school class for my first class ever that I was teaching a full quarter. And one of the books that I was covering was Philippians, and I was teaching the prison epistles. But for whatever reason, I found that this time through the book, I was faced with something that I hadn't ever quite considered so deeply before. So for context, before I tell, it, tell what it was that challenged me, I want to address why this is the lesson that I'm choosing to present. I'm 22 years old, and it wasn't until I was around 15 that I started taking note of my surroundings in the church. And it wasn't until that age that I started trying to discern what my role in the body of Christ is. And in those seven years, it's become evident to me the amount of disunity that faces the body of Christ. I've seen or heard of more congregational splits than I can count. There have been divisions that I've seen arise, accusations thrown around from one place or another. And I'm realizing more and more, the older I get, that there always seems to be some reason for disunity lurking around the corner. And because of those things weighing on my mind... It was when I was reading Philippians that things started piecing together. And the challenge that I was faced with was looking in the mirror and asking myself if I am being a member that unites the body or one that divides it. Instead of turning to Philippians, let's first turn to Ephesians. And here we're going to remind ourselves of who and what the church is. So in Ephesians 1, we're reminded that we were fatherless at one time. But it was because of Jesus' sacrifice, we now have a father. We have been adopted. And we have so many reason, reasons to have thanksgiving in our hearts. But we're reminded in verse 22... That God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church, and we are his body. Turn over to chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're reminded of the unity that is in Christ. And again, we're reminded that Christ is the head and we are the body. Brethren, let that sink in. We are the body of Christ. When the world looks at us, they should see Christ. And the church has a role in attaining to the unity of the Spirit as we grow into Christ. And I think that Ephesians does an incredibly good job of demonstrating what unity looks like on a grand scale. We know what it looks like. Each part, me, you, Danny, we have so many roles that individually we have to fill. And when we are all doing our part, we will build each other up in love. But how do we attain this? That's the question. On a practical scale, how do we attain to the unity that builds each other up in love? And that's where I believe Philippians comes in. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, I believe, sets the context of the entire book. And he says, starting in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're reminded of this mindset. And this mindset is a in the Lord mindset. 
Again, look at the phrase in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This set of verses, um, excuse me, I looked at the wrong note there for a second. We're reminded of what it is that our role is. We have to look to the needs of each other and put our, our brother's needs above our own. And that is this Christ-like mindset. And I want us to focus really on any time that you see the phrase in the Lord from this point going forward. Because I think when we've come across this um, phrase before, we tend to apply it to this very personalized idea of, I will rejoice in the Lord, or I will look to the Lord, and the Lord will give me blessings. But there's a greater context going on, and it's the context of unity. So turn over, just, uh, excuse me, turn over to chapter, chapter, sorry, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25. And here... Paul is saying that he's excited to send Epaphroditus and Timothy to the Philippian church. In verse 25, he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because fellow soldier, messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And then chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Every time that this phrase has been used so far, in the Lord, it has been in context of his brethren. What emotion was it the Philippians were supposed to feel when Epaphroditus came? Joy. And it was supposed to bring Paul less anxiety. And he says, honor men like this. And after verse 1 of chapter 3, when he says rejoice in the Lord, he then says who to look out for and who to avoid. I'm trying to draw a line between the phrase in the Lord and your brethren. We're all in the Lord. You are in the Lord. I am in the Lord. And we should find joy in one another. Isn't it a beautiful thing? The amount of emotional sway that Timothy and Epaphroditus were able to bring Paul. Paul is in prison. He's in a horrible situation and you would think that he would be stressed out, that he would be anxious, and that he wouldn't know what's coming next. But just because, just because Epaphroditus went to a church that Paul loved, it cured him of his anxiety. <laughs> it brought Paul joy. And that's the joy we should feel about each other when we assemble together. That I can say, I'm with my brethren. I am with fellow members of the body of Christ. And we're all trying to attain to his unity. 
In the introduction this morning, I kind of really rushed past it. But I want to say this. It's good to be here with you this morning. It brings me joy to be able to stand before God's people and to present a lesson from His Word. So far, you've been an encouragement to me. Everyone's greeted me, and it's been, it's been beneficial to me in my spiritual walk. I don't have to know you personally to know that you're God's people. And in that, I rejoice. And I'm happy to be here. But some of you I do know. I've known Danny for a long time, for as long as I can remember. And he's been an encouragement to me for as long as I can remember. And there's plenty of funny stories I could tell about times we went to DQ and he told me to get whatever I wanted. To say, I'm still not sure if you were buying it or dad was and you just told me to get what I wanted. But <laughs> you've been an encouragement to me. But what would happen if Danny and I had a problem with each other? For whatever reason, I said, you led that song way too slow. That, I don't know what you were thinking. And we got into an argument over this, and it began to escalate. What would happen? Well, let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Pause. There's the phrase, in the Lord. And again, establishing this mindset that there is joy in Christ. And that we love our brethren and will stand firm. Verse 2. I entreat you, Odea, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These two women were disagreeing. And it's never fully made sense to me why Paul then starts talking about joy in the Lord. And this is one of the things that stuck out to me recently is I think that I have explained this passage wrong in the past. Because when I see him say rejoice in the Lord, to me my takeaway is rejoice in the body of the Lord. Rejoice in this mindset that he's established throughout this entire book to this point. So going back to the example of me and Danny disagreeing, how quickly do you think this disagreement would be solved if I went to God in prayer and I said, God, I am so thankful for the encouragement Danny has been to me through the years. I have joy in him being my brother in your body. But right now I'm anxious because we're disagreeing. If I had the mindset that did that and he did the same for me and he said, thank you, Lord, for Ethan. 
but I'm anxious. If we brought our needs with thankfulness to God, what do you think would happen? How quickly would that disagreement go away? I think it would go away pretty quick. Let's read verses 7 through 9. And the peace of God, if you do these things, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, I think if we both had the attitude where we go to God first, verse 7 tells us the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. When I was teaching this in Bible class, I, I asked my students, I said, okay, how do you apply verse 8? What would you say these things are? <clears throat> and there's some silence for a minute, and I waited. I'm comfortable with silence. And finally, someone broke the silence and said, well, I think a lot of anxiety goes away whenever you think about just good things. Like, for example, nature is really pretty. Okay, that's a true statement, by the way. I'm not negating what was said because that's a very true statement. God's nature is beautiful. And I think when you pay attention to good things, you, anxiety naturally goes away. But is that really what he's saying here? Think about it. UODN, Syntyche, you all are disagreeing. I wish you would get along, but nature sure is pretty. What impact does that have on the disunity going on between two, two um, brothers or sisters in Christ? Little to none. But rather, what if when you approached a brother or a sister, you said, well, you said something that was true a minute ago, and I want to focus on that. I might disagree with you on everything else, but you said this, and I, I think that's really important to think about. Or you've had a very honorable demeanor. You're not coming in here trying to just prove your point and say that I'm wrong. Or you've been very just. You're seeking the truth and you want to align yourself with that. I think you have a very pure heart. I think you have a very um, lovely air about you. There's so much about you that is commendable. There's so much about you that is excellent. And I believe you to be very praiseworthy. How many church splits do you think would have been avoided if this was the mentality? I'd say a lot. How many fallouts between brethren would have been avoided if they had joy in each other instead of anxiety? And I'm preaching at myself. Again, I can't know what's going on in your congregation. I don't know. I do know that there have been times in my life that I have fallen short. And there have been times in my life when I talk to brethren, I feel more anxiety than joy, and that's wrong. And this is why it's been a challenge to me to read through Philippians this time around. 
because I'm noticing all the times that I've fallen short. But if I've fallen short there, then I can't be the only one. This morning, you may be able to notice times in your life that you have not been a member that's building up the body of the Lord. I'm not saying you're necessarily going out and doing something egregiously wrong. But how many times have you prayed for your brothers and said, God, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And I'm not just talking about when they're sick. How often do you feel thankful about them? Because we have so much more that unites us than divides us. We've been united in a death like Christ. We have the same Father. And we are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. This morning, if you're not a Christian, then you're outside of that body. And I told Danny the other day that I was going to be preaching on peace this morning. And you might be thinking, well, you failed miserably because you didn't say anything about peace. And while I agree, I did not say the word as much as I said unity. You cannot have a godly peace without unity. They're coexistent. And the only way that you can experience godly peace is by being a member of his family that builds each other up in love. And if you are a Christian and you're walking out of step, then you're not building each other up in love. And I would urge you to repent of that. If you have any needs this morning, then I ask that you please come forward as we stand and sing.